Well, welcome again. It's good to have you here with us. In case you're with us here for the first time tonight, a couple things. First of all, we are a newer church plant, and so uh, we're just, we just celebrated our year anniversary, actually, beginning of April. So uh, welcome. We're really glad to have you here. Uh, secondly, my name's Eric. I'm the pastor here. So uh, if you stick around, you'll be getting to know more of me, I assure you. Um, but we're going to read uh, just a couple of verses tonight from of the Proverbs. We've been going through this book of wise sayings, and tonight we're going to be looking at, um, at the liar. You know, each week we've tried to sort of take a character from the Proverbs uh, that, uh, that is talked about multiple times, and tonight's character is the liar. So I just picked out a passage to sort of base the sermon on. It's going to actually be picking throughout the Proverbs as we go through it. So it reads like this, verse 16, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So, as I mentioned, we're talking about something that all of us have done, Maybe still do, as a matter of fact, probably still do more than we recognize. We're talking about lying. In our era of, uh, of fake news and counter-fake news, in which we've just grown accustomed to being lied to. I mean, really, isn't it just kind of the case, like you turn on the, t- the, the news, if you ever do turn on the news, and you're just sort of expecting that like, you're not quite getting the true story a lot of the time, aren't we kind of there that like you're just, you're, you're, you know now not to expect that you're always getting the truth because lying is just part of the daily narrative of life. Uh, and yet, um, I think we do it even unconsciously. I think we do it sometimes unconsciously. Some of us have gotten just so used to exaggerating or telling fibs, white lies, that it just happens and we don't even know it. Uh, the comedian Norm MacDonald noticed once about himself that sometimes uh, he lies, he tells lies that will seemingly benefit him in no way whatsoever. So, for example, somebody comes up to him and says, Hey, Norm, have you seen that movie with uh, Meryl Streep and the horse? And he's like, uh, Yeah, totally, I've seen that movie. And then instantly thinks to himself, Why did I tell them I've seen that movie? I haven't seen that movie. And of course, the crowd laughs hysterically at him admitting this, but part of the reason they laugh hysterically at him admitting that he lied about something so seemingly nonsensical and meaningless is because they probably have all done it at one time or another, just for no good reason, like just a lie, for no particular good reason. And I I guess, if I'm honest, I've, I've been there too. But it's not just others that we lie to, it's, uh, it's ourselves that we lie about too. We delude ourselves into what we want to believe is true about the world all the time. Uh, Woody Allen in an interview for the New York Times a while back said, quote, this is my perspective on life. I have a very grim, pessimistic view of it. I do feel that it's a grim, painful, nightmarish, meaningless experience. Could you get any more adjectives, Woody? The only way you can actually be happy, listen to what he says, is if you tell yourself some lies and deceive yourself. It was said by Nietzsche, it was said by Freud, one must have one's delusions to live. 
That's quite a nihilistic perspective, but there's some truth to that too. Um, indeed, the main problem with addicts is that very thing. They're lying to themselves. They're living in denial. They are deluding themselves into believing that they can still actually handle their lives. They still think they have a modicum of control over this thing. And if we delude ourselves, then we most certainly will seek to delude God. As our first parents attempted to do when they sewed fig leaves over their nakedness, we actually believe that if we present ourselves to God, at least a certain way that he'll find us acceptable enough, uh, or at least he won't care enough to bother with us to take notice and so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to be, as I think, as practical as you get. I mean, the Proverbs really are that. It's practical wisdom, day-to-day -day type stuff. With three, we're going to try to answer three questions. Number one, why, why we lie? Number two, the results of lying. And three, the cure for lying. Okay, so number one, why we lie? Well, I suppose there's lots of reasons. Uh, lots of times we lie because we feel insecure, right? I mean, we care about what others think of us a lot. Even though I remember saying in high school at a certain time, like, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. That was the time I cared the most about what everybody thought of me for certain. Um, and so we, you know, we tell a little lie here and a little lie there in order to boost ourselves up a little bit. We, so we might just pull it off that they think we're, you know, at least a little bit impressive. For example, if you've ever gotten a, ever had to sit for a job interview and are asked by the potential employer what you think your weakness is, I, I bet you you're at least tempted to tell a little lie. Because you're insecure, you don't want to share your weakness, it might disqualify you. So what do you say? What have you said? What have I said? I've said this a few different times. You know, my main weakness, my main weakness is I'm just way too devoted to the job. I just work too hard. I just don't know how to stop myself from being a devoted employee. I didn't tell them, in fact, no, actually, you know, if I'm honest, my real weakness is I really like to sleep till noon. And this job won't let me do that. So that's going to be a struggle for me. I didn't tell them, well, you know, I tend to get really annoyed with my coworkers really quickly. Because that wouldn't have looked good. In the same vein, we learn early on in life that to lie just may help us avoid trouble. So we lie because we feel insecure, but we lie also because we, we learn pretty early that it, it may, there's a decent shot that we can avoid getting in trouble if we smooth the edges out on a story that makes us seem a little less culpable as our interrogators, usually when we're young, our parents, survey the problem. Did you take those cookies? Mm -mm. No. And you're just hoping that they'll believe you because then you're off scot-free and you probably got a few cookies in the mix. We lie to protect others' feelings, right? How's this dress look, honey? Amazing. Amazing. The list could go on and on for why we lie. But here's, here's something interesting. The real reason for why underneath all that stuff, like those are just like symptomatic things. Underneath all of it, interesting thing in the Proverbs, the reason we lie is due to a lack of faith. It's true. 
That's the very heart of the problem. Proverbs 12, 22 interestingly says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Do you see the contrast there? Between lying and faithfulness. Now, why is lying displaying a lack of faith? Well, here, it's very simple. Because when we lie, we're not believing the words of God that ensure us that it is the truth that will set us free. But instead, we are believing that ultimately, truth, no matter how much it may hurt, is not worth investing in as much. Now, does this mean that the truth has to be delivered in a brutal, tactless, unfeeling way to be the truth? No, not at all. As Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Does it mean that there isn't uh, different perspectives on issues sometimes that may cause disagreement about what's true and false? No, not at all. There's all sorts of times. As Proverbs 18.17 acknowledges, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. There's plenty of times like that where we think we have the truth and then we find out, oh, that's not actually, actually the truth. And so we have a debate about it. That happens, sure. But we know the difference between a debatable matter and an outright lie. We know it. We know it when we're telling something that is in fact not true. And so that's why when we lie in big or small ways, it shows that there is a deeper heart problem between us and God. Fundamentally, we are breaking down trust between us and God when we live by lies. And that, that leads to the results of lying. The results of lying. Well, at first, it might appear to do us good. Let's just be honest. At first, Proverbs 21.6 says, The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Now notice first off that the author acknowledge, acknowledges by lying that it is possible to get treasures. Indeed, it may be that after you padded that resume that you get the job. That's happened. It's not all that uncommon. Indeed, there are people we know right now that have lied countless times, whether they're politicians or businessmen or whatever, that have made insane amounts of money with seemingly no consequences. By the way, the psalmists lament this constantly all throughout the psalms. They, they're like, how long, O Lord, are you going to let this guy continue to defraud everybody? How is he getting away with this stuff? I mean, this is stuff that the psalmists complain about, which goes to show what the author of Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. But of course, the second part of that proverb points out the ultimate result of our lying, and that is that it's a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Now, there's three words I want to just focus on real quick in that statement. Number one, first off, vapor could literally be translated breath, like a breath. <gasps> the author of Ecclesiastes uses this same word to describe the entire human life. He says, in light of eternity, the entire human life is like a breath. That's how short it is in contrast to eternity. 
So the idea that the Proverbs author is stating is that as quick as the treasure may come because of your lie, it will seemingly leave you that quickly too at death. Second, the word snare quite literally means to be entrapped or pursued relentlessly. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, liars need to have good memories. In fact, a study out of the University of Sheffield showed that kids with the best thinking and memory skills also were the best liars. But of course, no matter how good your memory is, when you lie, you have to cover up the lie, usually with another lie, and then another, and another, until you have to remember so much that it becomes impossible to keep up with it all, and then you're ensnared, you're trapped, left with nowhere to go. When I think about that word, I can't help but think of, um, I don't know if they still show up, but there used to be this Dateline show called To Catch a Predator. You, they probably, I know it's on cable somewhere now, but... If you ever saw that show, then you know what ensnared entrapment looks like. You know, like, the, that thing. You know, the, the, the idea was that, you know, the show would work in conjunction with the police to pose as, as an underage person that was willing to meet an older, overage person for sex. And then the older age person would show up at the house, and there would be a camera through them, and they would be right there, and they would catch them red-handed. And the look on the people's faces that had been caught in their act was entrapped. There's nowhere to go. There's no justification. There's no way around it. There's no getting out of it. They are ensnared. Now, of course, I, I would hope that nobody here has ever been trapped in anything that heinous, but all of us, to some degree, have probably been caught in something. I can tell you any number of situations where I was trapped in a lie when I was a kid, but the most memorable to me is when my dad caught me smoking. I was about 14, I think, 15 years old, somewhere around there. And, you know, I got lazy, but it was. I got, to, you know, the, the longer you hide, the lazier you get, you know, the more you think you can get away with it. And so I had, instead of going blocks and blocks away from my house to go smoke, I just went like the next street over and was smoking. And my dad comes around the corner, he's riding his bike, and I'm literally like, in, there's, no, there's no things I can do to hide this. Like, he says, hey, Eric, and I'm like, poor dad. I mean, I'm like, it's just, it's just smoke coming out of my mouth. There was nothing I could do. I was completely and utterly ensnared and trapped in my lie. And at that moment, when we're ensnared in a lie, when we're ensnared in an act of untruth, the design of that is that, that we would give up. It's designed, when we're trapped, the design is to make us say, okay, I'm done, you caught me. But oh, oh my friends, how human beings are such proud creatures and how, oh, how we can find a way to squirm and rationalize away our lie until just maybe we might convince ourselves that we can escape. And that's when the third thing mentioned in that verse happens, at least eventually. When we're ensnared in our lie, and we're completely trapped in it, but we refuse to give up, we refuse to acknowledge the truth, what happens is, well, first we become isolated from others by our lie. We avoid them. 
afraid they might find out or expose us. Our lives become ones where we walk around with masks on. We can't have real relationship with God or with others. Because to know the real us means to know the true us, and the true us is too obscured now by the lie. And so the author of Proverbs says, it leads to death. It kills us. Lies do kill. That's what Romans means when it says the wages of sin is death. This is why the addict can't get clean even though they're ensnared by the lie of their addiction because they refuse to acknowledge the problem and admit they're powerless to defeat it and it will eventually take them over. This is why uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and other recovery groups have worked so well for so long because they allow a space where a person can just come in and say, I'm trapped and I can't get out. I have blown it. I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. I can't fix myself. And right then, right then, when somebody admits the problem, the cure for lying begins to take place. Is it painful? Yes. Is it painful to be exposed? Yes. Is it embarrassing? Possibly. But there's no other way. There's no other way. There's no cure. There, the only cure for a lie is for it to die. And the only way a lie dies is if it is exposed for what it is. In other words, as Jesus says, again, the truth sets you free. Contrast that, the lie ensnares and traps you, leading to death. That's why police officers will tell you that the person who confesses to their crime sleeps best that same night, no matter where they are. There was a movie that came out a while back called The Machinist. It was a little indie movie with Christian Bale, and uh, it became known basically for one thing, for like the transformation of Christian Bale as a human being. Like He lost an insane amount of weight for it. But the movie is about a man with crippling insomnia, and and the longer the film goes on, the less sleep he gets. The less sleep he gets, the more unhealthy he becomes until he has become a shell of the man he was. And throughout the film, people around him are wondering what happened to him. Why is it that he has gotten so sick that he can't sleep, that he can't eat, that he can't function as a normal human being? And finally, at the end of the film, a suppressed memory that he'd been pushing down for as long as he could comes springing up in his mind in which he remembers driving in a fast car and accidentally running over a little boy and killing him. And in his panic, even though he knew what he did, he sped off and tried to hide it for all that time. Just push it down, push it down, push it down. And finally, by the time the suppressed memory was remembered again. He was so done trying to do that, trying to hide his lie, that he walked into the police station, confessed his crime, and the film literally ends with him laying down on a prison bed, exhausted and sleeping soundly for the first time. 
It's just the way it is. The only way we can find rest is when we fess up about ourselves, when we just tell the truth. So James implores us to confess our sins to one another. And believe me, in Greek, it doesn't say confess your sins in prayer to God, just that. It says literally to one another. The Christian church is meant to be a place of vulnerability where we can share our junk and not fear judgment and not fear shame, but, but know that we're going to be accepted and loved and, and, and uh, walked with through it. And yet at the same time, the Apostle John does say, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's where we see once again, as we close here, that ultimately... We talk about the cure for lying. Ultimately, the cure is the gospel. How so? Well, if we think back to the reasons why we lie, we mentioned three things that we lie because we're insecure, because it helps us to avoid getting in trouble, because it protects others' feelings. Well, the gospel is the answer to all these things. It's the answer to our insecurity because God says through Jesus Christ that he knows everything about us yet loves us still completely. Nothing is hidden in his sight and he loves you fully. The gospel is the answer to our fear of getting in trouble because the gospel says that since Jesus lived, died, and rose again for you, he has declared you completely righteous by faith and forgiven you all your sins. So there is no need to fear of getting in any trouble with him ever again. And though we do lie often thinking it will protect others, the gospel tells us that Jesus' love is so unconditional toward us that no matter what we say, no matter how honest we are with him, even about our feelings toward him, that he literally will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus declares to sinners that no matter how many times we have not lived in the truth, that through trust in him, the completely honest and perfect Messiah of God, there is now no condemnation. Because Christ takes the punishment for your lies on the cross, you are now set free from the fear of God's judgment. And this gospel gives you, therefore, the power, the confidence, the trust through his spirit to have fearlessness and boldness to tell the truth, come what may, since your life is no longer yours. You're a new creation. Your sins are hidden in Christ. And the life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, that you don't hold our sins against us through faith in Christ, that you treat us as him. Help us then embolden us, help this fact embolden us to come to you with the worst of our stuff, with, with our most, um, with all of the stuff that we try to hide from ourselves and from the world, knowing that you truly are safe. And that, that will never change. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.